One of the best ways to take the wind out of the sails of visionaries is to send their ideas to a committee. Here are some comments about committees. An elephant is a horse designed by a committee. A committee keeps minutes and wastes hours. The best committee has three members if two of them are out of town. A committee is made up of the unfit trying to lead the unwilling to do the unnecessary. A committee is a collection of individuals who separately do nothing and together decide that nothing can be done. Welcome to this episode, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, Chapter 4, No Room for Mavericks. On occasion, I'm sharing with you a snippet uh, from my book, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, the audio book, which I hope will be coming out soon, but this is the audio of that chapter. I want to let you know that I'll be sharing that chapter with you today. Show notes are available at hansfinzel.com. Of course, the book is available everywhere books are sold. And my podcast directory is hansfinzel.com slash podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to share a pain point that was given to me by one of you, my listeners, which I thought was very apropos to this topic of Mavericks. This is from a 20-something listener, and I love to have those 20-something listeners. Would you please tell your friends to also tune in? First and foremost, thank you very much for the book. She's one of the ones that got a free copy of my book because she went to HansFinzel.com slash free book. And I still have a few left if you want to claim one of those. You just have to fill out what I ask you for in that section. I really enjoy learning from you because your speaking style and examples are easy to follow, understand, and relate to. Hey, thank you. I learned a long time ago to put the cookies on the lower shelf so everybody could reach them. As a young millennial maverick in her 20s, I desire to one day serve my company as an executive leader, but can already attest to the challenges posed by toxic leadership, dirty delegation, poor communication, lack of confidence in mavericks, etc. But rather, then dampen my spirits, these factors motivate me. I love that. End of quote. Thanks for sharing that with me. You know, I just keep finding more and more toxic environments and dysfunctional leadership teams, and I love helping leaders take your leadership to the next level of your management skills because we need to make the world a better place by being better leaders and showing people how to do it right which is really what this show is about today, the No Room for Mavericks, how important it is to listen to those voices. So let's listen in to Chapter 4. Chapter 4, No Room for Mavericks. They bring us the future. Mavericks can save us from the slide toward institutionalism. Large organizations usually kill off mavericks before they can take root. Mavericks make messes by their very nature, the good messes institutions need. Learn to recognize truly useful mavericks. Bill and Mary sat on the couch in my office and spilled their wounded emotions for more than an hour. Here were two extremely gifted individuals who had helped grow their local church very aggressively through their entrepreneurial zeal. One of the entire team of five families of which they were a part, Bill and Mary had the greatest giftedness in the areas of growing, expanding, and building. Yet they're mavericks, and after just two years, their team rejected them for not, quote, playing by the rules. 
They became outcasts. The word that was relayed to me from the team was, don't send them back. We don't want them. And what are those rules that Bill and Mary broke? As I pried for their offense, all I found was a lack of boring institutional conformity. Like many others who live on the radical fringes of organizations, Bill and Mary have a hard time fitting into a rigid bureaucracy. They're mavericks, and they need freedom to fly. Sidebar, Henry Ford. I'm looking for a lot of men with an infinite capacity for knowing what can't be done. Recently, I led my senior staff through a discussion at one of our planning retreats on the topic of making room for creative people. I challenged them with this question. Have we made it impossible for bright, rising stars and maverick go-getters to live within our organization? When we become too preoccupied with policy, procedure, and the fine-tuning of conformity to organizational standards, in effect, we squeeze out some of our most gifted people. Organizations have this nasty habit of becoming institutions, and institutions have this great tendency to fade into irrelevance. Movements become monuments. Inspiration becomes nostalgic. The tragedy of this often repeated story is that the older an organization gets, the less room there is for the entrepreneurially gifted. Mavericks are messy by their nature, and calcified organizations chew them up and spit them out with their rigidity. Mavericks are necessary for us to be creative. The dictionary defines maverick as, quote, an independent individual who does not go along with a group or party. The word comes from the 1870s when a famous pioneer in the wild western United States refused to brand his cattle. His name was Samuel A. Maverick. Mavericks are free spirits that have always been misunderstood. This is as true in the church as it is in the business world. Organizations follow a pattern as they move from passion to paralysis, from apostolic to mechanistic. This pattern seems to follow the very pattern of the human life cycle, from birth to adolescence to the most productive adult years and eventually to death. Even organizations that don't die often look and act dead. When I became president and CEO of World Venture 20 years ago, the company was celebrating its 50th anniversary. There were a lot of very proud moments in that history, but to me, any 50-year-old is going to have issues. It has been my obsession these years to reinvent the organization from the inside out and from the top to the bottom. There is very little I have left unchanged, because the world today is so different than the world that existed when we were founded in 1943. We were in a death spiral in our life cycle, and I was determined to turn it around. Let me illustrate this life cycle with the following chart. The time when mavericks are most crucial is during the entrepreneurial years of expansion in childhood and adolescence, and right after the crest during the graying years when organizations need to be born again. Sidebar, the life cycle of organizations, moving from left to right, birth infancy, childhood, adolescence, and at the peak, adulthood, and then going down the other side, middle age, graying years, old age, and death. One reason the story of Bill and Mary crushed me so deeply was that their church really needed their help but didn't know it. The organization was dying and needed them desperately at that stage of its life cycle. But I'm amazed at how many people live in denial during these years of sad decline. 
They reject the very people that can bring them new life. Describing the stages of life cycle. Birth. One or two individuals or families decide to try something new. They start a new business, plant a new church, or embark on some new enterprise that will create the new life of an organization. Infancy. The fragile new organization needs loads of tender loving care and constant feeding and pampering in these trying days of survival. And as new parents discover, there are many costs and few paybacks beyond the joy of seeing the new life you've created. Childhood. The early unsure days of floundering youth. First steps are taken amid the bruises and bumps that come with childhood. Great strides in learning are taking place. Adolescence. The identity crisis comes once the organization is up and running, usually between five and ten years out, when the original founding principles are questioned by the growing number of new members who were not there at the beginning. Great growth pains happen during this rite of passage to adulthood. Adulthood. The organization is now in its prime, fully staffed and functioning in the way it was intended to from the beginning. These are great productive years as things are going great and goals are being accomplished in grand style. Middle Age As in human midlife, things began to slow down and some of the zest and zeal of the peak years starts to wane. Settling for limited objectives is a large part of the pattern here. Graying Years in these years, institutionalization or even fossilization is taking place. The preservation of the organization becomes the chief end, and new ideas are discouraged because they upset the established routines of the decades. Quote, we've always done it that way, is the theme song of the graying years. Old age. If the organization is still around, it is probably maintaining a bare existence with a tiny market share of whatever it does. Nothing is happening, no one notices it, and things are quiet in the orderly hallways and boardrooms. Many churches in our land are in this condition and can go on for years with the reserves of a few generous estates. Death I wish more organizations would take this bold step and declare themselves finished when they have fulfilled their usefulness. Every organization sooner or later must cease to have life, at least life as they once understood it. And we should allow each generation the privilege of creating its own vehicles to accomplish its ideals. I hope you're enjoying listening to the reading of my book, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make. Chapter 4, No Room for Mavericks. Occasionally in my podcast, I'm taking this opportunity to spoon-feed my book out through this means. And some people have asked me in the past, why are you running out of ideas? No, believe me, I've got a lot of ideas for future podcasts, and I would love to hear your ideas. Some of you send me your ideas. If there are topics you want me to address that I haven't gotten to yet, please reach out to me at hansfenzel.com in the contact tab. And let me know some of your ideas for some shows you'd like me to talk about some specific topics related to life and organizations and businesses and ministries. I'd love to do that, but I'm going to go ahead and continue this chapter. But people ask me, Hans, you wrote that book a number of years ago. Uh, have you made those 10 mistakes? I just had a guy the other day ask me that. 
And I said, listen, I made a hundred, but I decided to choose the top 10 for this book. Yes, I have made every one of these mistakes. I am a maverick. And I talk in this chapter about uh, some of the people that encouraged me along my career and listened to me, even though I was a maverick at heart. We need to encourage these creative types. I was speaking in China not long ago, and I was talking about mavericks, and they were like, Deer in the headlights looking at me like, what is a maverick? And I had to explain how, where that came from. Samuel Maverick, who originally refused to brand his cows and uh, because he just didn't want to do that. He decided to think outside the box. There are other ways that we can label our cattle. Like today when I go mountain biking, I run into cattle not far from my home and they have these big tags in their ears. Uh, That's a different way to mark your cattle other than branding them. A maverick is somebody who thinks outside the box. So I still think these 10 chapters that I chose a number of years ago when I wrote this book are are the top 10 mistakes leaders make. So let's continue to listen into this chapter four, No Room for Mavericks. Birth, life, aging, and death, the natural order of creation. What do these life cycles have to do with mavericks? It should be obvious by now that the older an organization, the less room for truly creative people. In the early years of a growing new organization, entrepreneurial vision and zeal is the very lifeblood that gets the group going. Whether a local church is trying to attract new members or a business is going after a new market share, it takes creative vision and go-getters to get things moving. One of my students asked me the obvious question about the life cycle chart. Can the decline down the other side of the curve be avoided, or is it inevitable? I've grown more skeptical as the years have gone by. I have viewed the comings and goings of organizations which I call the ebb and flow of organizational life. There can be a rebirth, but it takes a strong dose of new blood, young maverick blood, to arrest the slide down the far side of the life cycle curve. Most people who get to know me find that under the reserved German facade is a zealous maverick. So why would a 50-year-old organization hire a 40-year-old zealot like me to run things? I applaud the board of directors of our organization, not for selecting me, but for taking a gamble on putting a maverick in charge. We needed it at that time of our life cycle. We had been in middle age, and many of the warning signs of the approaching graying years of institutional life were appearing in our midst. When the board of directors was interviewing me, they asked me for my greatest fear for our organization, my gravest concern as we looked into the future. That was an easy question to answer for an organization like ours. Quote, My greatest fear is that our best days are behind us. I loathe the thought that we should fade into irrelevance. One of the men who had a profound role of mentorship in my life in the 1980s was a fine gentleman by the name of Arno Enns. He has a prominent place on my hero wall. Most people won't recognize his name, but the top ranks of our organization today are filled with men and women he mentored. For 10 years, Arno was my boss and immediate supervisor, but he was more than that. After my own father died in 1984, he became like another dad for me. Now, Arno is, by his very nature, cautious and process-oriented. Risk-taking is not natural for him. But he believed in me. And though I was a maverick in the organization, he cultivated me and harnessed that zeal. He gave me the opportunity to open doors in Eastern Europe in the early 1980s. 
An incident in 1982 stands out as an example of how Arno was flexible enough to make room for me. This was a long time ago. We were living in Vienna, Austria, and making forays into Eastern Europe as part of an underground leadership development network. In the early months of 1982, I relayed a request back to him at the home office that I wanted to spend $3,900 for a personal computer. Remember, that was 1982. Most people had never heard of Steve Jobs, and the IBM PC had yet to be released. I was going to purchase a Tandy Radio Shack TRSA Model 3 personal computer to use for writing and database chores. I was perhaps the first person in our entire organization to make such a request. Why would anyone need a personal computer was the general notion back then. But Arno was different. He believed in me and thought that perhaps this was the way of the future. He listened to my arguments and authorized the purchase as a sound one. It is partly because of that kind of visionary thinking that I have stuck with Arno and our organization all these years. And now at the helm myself, I have a passion to make room for the next generation of Mavericks. Arno is now in his 80s and long retired, but he still sends me articles to read that refresh my spirit and challenge me to lead outside the box. He is a living reminder that you can be in your 80s and still be a Maverick. Sidebar, the Ten Commandments of Organizational Paralysis. How to put Mavericks in their place. Number one, that's impossible. Number two, we don't do it that way. Number three, we tried something like that before and it didn't work. Number four, I wish it was that easy. Number five, it's against policy to do it that way. Number six, when you've been around a little longer, you'll understand. Number seven, who gave you permission to change the rules? Number eight, how dare you suggest that what we are doing is wrong? Number nine, if you'd been in this field as long as I have, you would understand that what you are suggesting is absolutely absurd. Number 10, that's too radical a change for us. Make room for Mavericks. Webster's definition defines a Maverick as a pioneer, an independent individual who does not go along with the group. Synonyms for Maverick include nonconformist, heretic, dissident, dissenter, and separatist. If you think about it, Jesus was a maverick and was eventually destroyed by the institutional religious body he came to redeem. And you thought you had it tough getting your ideas through? One reason I love reading the Bible is it is filled with the stories of men and women who were nonconformists, who didn't meet the norms of society. I relate to them. The Bible is filled with mavericks and revolutionaries that changed the world. Moses was an outsider whom God used to bring renewal to his people. Joseph was left for dead by his brothers. Peter was a maverick from the start, but Jesus never cast him aside for his raw edge. Instead, he cultivated it and harnessed it. Then, of course, there was that great Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul, who, like Martin Luther, began in the bosom of the institution, but was soon coloring outside the lines. Isn't it just like God to make one of the chief supporters of the old and do one of the strongest advocates of the new? Sidebar, some mavericks who made a difference. The Apostle Paul, what a turnaround. He went from being an outside destroyer to an inside promoter. Martin Luther, he nailed his convictions on a door so the establishment couldn't miss it. William Carey. When his superiors told him to sit down and shut up, he ignored them and became a mission hero and father of the modern missionary movement. 
Lee Iacocca. He came from outside to reinvent Chrysler from the top down. Chuck Colson from Nixon Hatchet Man, then a prison cell, now a modern-day prophetic voice for evangelical Christians. Martin Luther King Jr. He had a dream he was willing to die for, and he changed the very fabric of American life. Steve Jobs. Beginning in his garage with nothing but radical new ideas, he brought IBM to its knees. Then years later, he did it again, reinventing the music industry. A few years ago, I read a fascinating book that traces the expansion of Christianity from the perspective of those who made it happen, From Jerusalem to Arian Jaya by Ruth Tucker. It records the simple truth that the greatest strides in the advancement of Christianity have come from the radical fringe, not the institutional core of the church. Likewise, strange inventors such as Thomas Edison and George Washington Carver have brought the business and industrial worlds from one major era to another. Chester Carlson, who invented the Xerox process, was laughed out of town before he finally patented his idea. The 3N company encourages Mavericks. The man who invented post-it notes did it on company time, even though it was a personal project. A Swiss watchmaker invented the quartz watch. Unfortunately, his superiors rejected the idea, so the Japanese and Americans patented it, and Switzerland went from an 85% global market share of watches to less than 15%. I fear what Mavericks are going to do next in my own organization, but not as much as what I fear will happen if we lose them and they end up doing it for someone else. Breathing Room and Flexibility One of the best ways to take the wind out of the sails of visionaries is to send their ideas to a committee. Here are some comments about committees. An elephant is a horse designed by a committee. A committee keeps minutes and wastes hours. The best committee has three members if two of them are out of town. A committee is made up of the unfit trying to lead the unwilling to do the unnecessary. A committee is a collection of individuals who separately do nothing and together decide that nothing can be done. It is a big mistake to stifle your brightest stars with the harness of endless committees, procedures, and paperwork. As I mentioned in Chapter 1 on the top-down attitude, our understanding of leadership has been going through a paradigm revolution these past couple of decades. The old way exemplified by Henry Ford's production line called for top managers to analyze the work that needed to be done, then devise detailed rules anyone could follow. Managers, divorced from the actual work, became bureaucrats, while their frustrated subordinates tightened the bolts. Those methods worked well during most of the past century, but they won't help us much in this one. But many organizations and churches hang on to those past attitudes and values for one simple reason. The revolutionary process of change is agonizing, and working with Mavericks involves risk-taking of major proportions. I've been amazed at the transformation of one of America's oldest and most stifling bureaucratic institutions, General Electric. The maverick who led the charge was Jack Welch, who brought about, admittedly with much pain, the new way at GE. Jack Welch's goal was to transcend the old concepts of management itself. 
Instead of seeking better ways to control workers, Welch says he aimed to liberate them. As he explains, that goal is based on healthy self-interest. The old organization was built on control, but the world has changed. The world is moving at such a pace that control has become a limitation. It slows you down. You've got to balance freedom with some control, but you've got to have more freedom than you've ever dreamed of. From Control Your Destiny or Someone Else Will by Tiki and Sherman. Final Thoughts We were living in Southern California in 1987 during one of the region's biggest earthquakes. It occurred early in the morning and literally knocked me out of bed. That one morning shook loose most of my paradigms of safety. If anything is certain, it should be the ground beneath us, right? Needless to say, I don't believe that anymore. We are living in times of earthquake proportion change all around us. Sometimes it really scares me how fast the world is changing. Peter Drucker from Post-Capitalist Society, quote, Every few hundred years in Western history, there occurs a sharp transformation. Within a few short decades, society rearranges itself. Fifty years later, there's a new world. And the people born then cannot even imagine the world in which their grandparents lived and to which their parents were born. We are currently living through just such a transition. End of quote. I especially plead with all of you who are in older institutions to aim for a flexible response to policies and procedures. If you're in senior management or on the board and in control, take some risk and bring some fresh young blood into the equation. You will be amazed what a few new faces can bring to a stagnant group of people. Give them room to succeed. We must avoid the danger that past communist regimes have made. They tried to make everyone equal, with no chance for true personal initiative. On my first trip to Russia in 1982, I was amazed when the tour guide pointed out that there was no unemployment in the land. I soon realized as I studied the faces and learned the facts that everyone had a job, but no one worked. The system killed all possibility for personal initiative, and the results were, well, we all know what happened to that approach. Don't allow your policies and procedures to stifle your brightest stars. Be flexible. Bend the rules if you believe that someone needs more space. Never be in bondage to your policy manual. Rules are made to be broken. Principles are not. The best fighter pilot can change the rules of engagement, but dare not violate the principles of gravity. Don't allow non-essential pettiness to drive away the most promising young Turks. Take risks and let people soar. Take this advice seriously. Goals should never arise out of corporate policy, company loyalty, or religious tradition alone. Sidebar. In the absence of great dreams, pettiness prevails. Unless we're careful, we'll follow these four stages in the devolution of a fresh movement. Men and women, every movement begins in the mind of one person. Movement, when a new idea grows beyond the passion of just one person. Machines, when a new idea becomes mechanistic bureaucratic and begins to lose its original luster. Monuments, when the passion for an idea dies, only monuments built to the original vision remain. The key to arresting or reversing this trend is to allow for flexibility and constantly bring in fresh blood. Learn how to recognize truly useful mavericks. Not all troublemakers and malcontents are true mavericks. Some are just a pain to have around and don't do anyone much good. 
So it is important that we learn to recognize and reward properly the mavericks in our midst. Legitimate mavericks who can bring you into the future. They care not just for their own ideas, but for the goals of the organization. They are making a difference in their present position. They are willing to earn the right to be heard. They are influencing others and producing good results. How to encourage the true mavericks who can help you. Give them a long tether they need space to soar. Put them in charge of something they can really own. Listen to their ideas and give them time to grow. Let them work on their own if they wish. Leave them alone and give them time to blossom. How to stifle the mavericks in your midst. Create as many layers of management as possible for decision making. Keep looking over their shoulders. Make your policy manual as thick as possible. Send everything to committees for deliberation. Make them wait. Let me state this one last time. Go for the mavericks. Recruit them. Nurture them. Mentor them. For they bring us the future. Sidebar from Joel Barker, Future Edge. Thomas Edison remarking on his own invention in 1880. The photograph is of no commercial value. Robert Milliken, Nobel Prize winner in physics, 1920. There is no likelihood man can ever tap the power of the atom. The American Road Congress, 1913. It is an idle dream to imagine that automobiles will take the place of railways in the long-distance movement of passengers. Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, 1943. I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Ken Olson, president of Digital Equipment Corporation, 1977. There is no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. Let me state this one last time. Go for the Mavericks. John Cotter in his book, What Leaders Really Do, says, quote, Organizations change of necessity, and for a variety of reasons. But the single biggest impetus for change in an organization tends to be a new leader in a key job, someone with a fresh perspective who sees that the status quo is unacceptable. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, Chapter 4, No Room for Mavericks. And I want to encourage you to go to HansFinzel.com right now, and you can get a free copy of the first chapter of my new book, The Power of Passion and Leadership. You can get a first chapter of that for free by signing up for my email address if you have not already signed up, okay? So thank you so much for listening. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. What are your leadership questions that I can answer for you on a future podcast? Please write me at hansfinzel.com and check out my leadership resources and sign up for my free email updates. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership.